This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Welcome to Pardon the Corruption Draft Edition. Joined here by Blake Murphy the day after the draft. And uh, to tackle the topics that you see on the screen there, and we'll start off with somewhat of a surprise, Malachi Flynn, uh, the Raptors picking him with the 29th pick. We did a bunch of videos before the draft on who the Raptors would pick. His name was nowhere uh, in those videos, but here we are. Blake, let's start off with a scouting report on this guy and uh, what, what we have here. Yeah, just so anyone... Uh, listening knows uh, this is the third take at the intro. Uh, they've gotten progressively shorter. <laughs> Zerar keeps messing up on his side. Uh, anyway, uh, Malachi Flynn, not that big a surprise. I think if you look at the, at, at least compared to some of the other picks the Raptors have made during this era, um, you know, it's less surprising to me than Pascal Siakam was, less surprising to me than <laughs> Brutal was, certainly. Um, but I think uh, I think you look at where the Raptors have had success with these under-drafted or undervalued talents, and you start to see a shape of what a Raptors guy looks like. And Malachi Flynn, short of maybe Cassius Winston, who just I don't think is as good as Malachi Flynn just straight up, uh, I'm not sure there's a better example of what a Raptors prospect is. Now, Cassius Winston out of Michigan State is a guy who was like, you know, he got asked, who do you model your game after? And he said, Lowry and Van Vliet. Um, so, you know, you could kind of feel why he's a Raptors guy, but, but Flynn checks a lot of boxes for them. And he's, you know, he brings intelligence and toughness, which are two things the Raptors not only like, but demand from their guys. Um, you have, a guy who's maybe a little undervalued because he did redshirt a year to transfer. So you've got this guy who is really, really good in college basketball, but he was really, really good at age 22 in a slightly lesser competitive environment. So, um, you know, those guys tend to get a ding either through the analytic models or, or through, you know, scouts who have already seen them over a couple of years and maybe give up on them. So um, that's their type. I mean, it's not surprising that their their second round pick was also a 22 year old who had transferred a year and was playing in a smaller uh, eyeball environment. So uh, Flynn is kind of their type. Not a big surprise there. And I think people will be familiar with why they like him pretty quickly. In addition to the toughness and intelligence, um, he has a defensive floor. There are some questions about his defensive upside. Uh, he did have a good steal rate, and he tries really hard on that end. Um, but he's only six foot one. He's not uh, super athletic, so um, you know maybe he's more of an off-ball guy where Fred and Kyle are, are kind of on-ball demons. Um, and then offensively. You know, I, th I think both picks this applies for, but you look at what the Raptors needed more of in the playoffs and, and all regular season, really, they needed more shot creation and they need more advantage creation in the half court. And Malachi Flynn comes in as probably the most polished pick and roll player in the draft. So, um, you know, we, we know that Kyle Lowry is a very good pick and roll player. We know that the Raptors have no bigs to screen in a pick and roll as the roster currently stands. Uh, but we also know Fred Van Vliet, you know, that's an area that's still in development for him, both as a finisher and a passer. Um, we know that the Raptors shifted away from the pick and roll heavy uh, offense when they had Kawhi Leonard and would like to get back to some of those principles a little bit more. Um, Flynn's really, really solid in that. He can pull up a little bit. Um, he finishes below the rim really well. 
with some craft and some good vision and his approach is good. Um, you know, even though he's small, he shot over 68% at the rim last year, which is, which is really encouraging. Um, Synergy had him as a 96th percentile pick and roll ball handler, either as a scorer or, or if you include passing. So um, really polished skill set in that regard. And then uh, if you're looking for, you know, fit with, Lowry and Van Vliet. Uh, he shot 36% on threes. He had slightly better numbers the odd time. He didn't catch and shoot a lot because he had the ball in his hands all the time. Um, but when he did get unguarded catch and shoot shots, he was really effective. He did show some pull-up juice, which is usually a good indication of if a guy is going to be able to spread his range out. Um, and he's a good free throw shooter. So uh, I think you can see him playing alongside Lowry or Van Vliet on offense, pretty much no problem. And then defensively, I do like the floor as a team defender and a guy who could ball hawk for steals but um his path to being uh, a plus defender is probably a little steeper than his path to being a, a plus on offense yeah and just watching his uh highlights uh he definitely likes to jack it up from deep he's got a decent looking shot uh he does finish at the rim but the main question really is kind of like with fred van vliet is that can he actually handle the trees in the nba and adjust his shot when he gets to the rim but, that, but that's a question for anybody coming into the league right so that's not a that's not a special and, problematic and- case for him and Van Vliet also had the the red flag of being a poor finisher in college too, yeah. whereas Flynn is a really good finisher. So if you're looking at, you know, this is where I get, uh, and I know that this isn't unique to me. I know Robel hates this too. Like, like because Grant Riller was uh, like an underrated point guard with a beard, uh, everyone was like, oh, he's the next Fred Van Vliet. And it's like, well, no, Grant Riller is the best finishing point guard in the NCAA, whereas Van Vliet struggled in that area. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's a learnable skill at the NBA level. Kyle Lowry entered the NBA in his first four seasons. He was a poor finisher around the rim and got much better. Um, but, you know, it, it's certainly encouraging that Flynn finished at a 68% rate. Um, you know, I, th- I think it just, especially for a guy like him who's not crazy explosive vertically, uh, I just think it shows or it at least suggests a good awareness of angles and body control and things like that um, tools you're going to need because he's not, you know, he's going to be six one in the NBA. There's no, there's no way around that. Who's going to develop a floater first uh, Flynn or Van Vliet? Ooh. Um, I mean, I think Flynn, because Flynn's a better finisher, I would probably bet on him. You know, Van Vliet has a little better touch from outside. So um, those are, those are kind of the two things you you tend to look at, right? It's like, are you a good finisher? Are you a good shooter? Um, you know, and then sometimes that floater range, like like uh, Lamelo Ball has floater range out to the elbows, and that's part of why you know he gets the three level scorer tag if the shot comes along because um, you know that mid range weapon is more than just a state like a pull up jumper. It's I've got this neat floater package. I'm gonna ish Smith a team to death, um, or or Etwan Moore a team to death. Uh, but yeah, it's a uh, you know, Flynn's got a, a, ni- a nice package there. And I don't think, you know, I don't know he's going to be a 20-point-a-game guy or anything like that. But you can never have too many guys who can knock down a three and initiate a pick-and-roll and make smart reads. And he's he's super, super smart um, operating the pick-and-roll and running an offense in general. So um, I think he's, you know, I'm sure Nick Nurse is going to be thrilled to have him as another option, whereas some of their other kind of combo guards – uh, the past couple of years have been a little uh, score dominant. And let, let's talk about team fit here for a second. And like for next year, do you see him uh, spending some time with the 905 or is he a guy that kind of goes into the first team and kind of hangs around at the end of the bench there? Yeah, I would think, I mean, part of it, the, the honest answer is part of it depends on what happens with Terrence Davis. Uh, and, you know, I think 
that's a rotation spot there and their rotation minutes there. And I'm sure the Raptors would love to trim the minutes that Lowry and Van Vliet played last year. Um, you know, Norman Powell is an interesting trade chip in different frameworks that are, that are out there on, on fan sites and in my mailbags and stuff. So, um, you know, the Davis thing is a big swing piece for that. And, and that's, that's a moral question, not a basketball question. So I'll, I'll leave that to the, to the Raptors in the NBA and MBPA and their investigation to decide. But um, I think, you know, I mean, I know how I feel about that, but I don't know that that's how it's going to play out. But I think, I think, look, the Raptors have played for years now with a lot of two point guard lineups. They're comfortable with that. They're comfortable with Van Vliet and Lowry, both playing uh, the two defensively, if necessary, they're, they're going to be comfortable with Lowry, Van Vliet and Flynn all on or, or off the ball offensively. There's going to be minutes there. And, and I don't think you can have too much point guard depth to where, you know, last year, Davis, Powell, Siakam, McCaw, all those guys were getting point guard minutes over the course of the year. And now you have a more natural um, fit there. I think if you want him to reach his upside as quickly as possible, you know how I feel about the 905. I think him playing a dozen games down there at 40 minutes a game with the ball in his hands, getting real-time NBA coaching staff feedback is probably better um, if you're talking about getting him where he needs to go quicker. Um, And I thought that that was, you know, maybe part of why Terrence Davis not plateaued over the course of the year, but didn't, you know, he came out of the gate as as this wonderfully impressive rookie prospect. And then he was kind of that guy all year, which is good. He was, you know, all rookie team. Um, But I think that, that, that G league opportunity would be great for Flynn. Definitely more important for Jalen Harris. Flynn is a little more ready to take on minutes if necessary. Um, But yeah, there's, there's a lot of roster change to come and that Davis, you know, that's 18, 20 minutes right there that could suddenly be open. Yeah. And uh, with Terrence Davis, it's a moral question, but it's also mm-hmm. a legal question because it's still in the court. So he's got to sort that stuff out. First. Yeah. So so the way that works for anyone who who isn't curious is that the per the letter of the CBA, the NBA and MBPA handle that investigation in, in an independent in- investigation, not the Raptors. So um, the Raptors are left in this spot where all they can really do is cooperate with the league. Now, he has a November 29th guarantee date on their contract. So they could technically just not guarantee his deal and be rid of him. Um, you know, I, I don't think he, with the league investigation and a December 11th court date, you know, I don't know that that's going to happen. They might just let this play out. It's he's only a minimum if they have to cut him after the factory gets suspended or whatever. Um, but yeah, there's a bit of a, a bit of a conflict there between morals and optics and, you know, the, the due process laid out in the CBA. Yeah. Uh, do you see th- th- this uh, this draft pick of uh, Flynn having any impact or was this made with an eye to the Fred Van Vliet impending free agency at all? I don't think so. I think, you know, I think last year what the season showed was that one, you probably need a third point guard. Uh, you don't really want to play as many minutes as they did without a true point guard. Uh, and two, you know, the biggest weakness this team had was creating offense in the half court. And that's a that's Malachi Flynn is going to help with that, whether it's this year or whether it's a a little further in the future. um, You know, that was a that was a skill need. So I don't think I I also think the Raptors have just always gone best player available in this area or highest upside available, depending on where they're at. Um, So, you know, I it's tough because I the, the other guy that I really liked in that spot was Xavier Tillman. 
And that one maybe would have hinted to me like, okay, Abaka and Gasol aren't going to be back because they use it on a big, but you just, you always need guards who can create a shot and create for others. So I don't think it really says much about the Fred, the Fred situation. The other thing from the Fred situation too, is that um, Detroit, Atlanta and Phoenix have all operated in ways that make it seem like they are less in on Fred Van Vliet now than they would have been a week ago. So you're really just looking at the Knicks doing something big time. (laughs) All right, you mentioned Jalen Harris there, and you mentioned he probably is headed to the D-League. Uh, what do you know about the guy? Because certainly I, I I know very little about him other than the three YouTube videos I watched before this podcast. No, I, I'm a big fan. I actually wrote last week, uh, this is a quote from my piece, I like Harris more than some of the wings projected to go late in the first round and think he'd be a steal on a two-way. Um, he wasn't projected to go drafted to get drafted, which is why I said a two-way. Um, but that's great value at 59. I had him in my top 50 on, on my board. And, uh, you know, had I had a little... He was a guy I got to later just because he wasn't mocked to be getting drafted and he played at Nevada. I think he would have gone higher up my board if, if I got more time to watch him. Um, he's a... Like the the thing that stands out most is like you're going to hear a lot that he's a three level scorer, but once you watch him, the thing that's going to stand out bef- more before that is that he's a motherfucker. Is and, and I mean that in like the best way possible offensively. Where I'd be shocked if we don't hear like coming at a training camp like, oh, this guy's competitiveness, or this guy got into it with this guy mm. during a, a five on five run or whatever. Like he just has that kind of vibe and playing style to him, and, and he has you know, as far as a six foot four, six foot five off guard goes, he has some real athletic tools. He had the highest vertical jump in the last like four years of the combine. Um, He had one of the highest, uh, there's a site called NBA athlete run by a friend of mine, Jared Dubin, um, that has a score called B spark, which is like, they take all the combine results and measurements and put it into this Z score to basically be like, what percentile athlete is this guy by NBA standards? And Jalen Harris was the number two wing in the class. Um, behind only Robert Woodard. So you're looking at a really good athlete. Um, you know, you might look that he's under 200 pounds at 6'4", 6'5", and, and think he needs to add some size and strength. And maybe that's true through the shoulders. Um, but he's really, really strong through his core and his lower half. Uh, he has great bursts around the rim. He invites contact in a way that, you know, guys that come up and, and kind of hit into a defender like that and try to finish through the body and get the and one in the NBA get that call a lot more than in the NCAA. I think the NCAA, if you're the contact initiator, maybe you don't get that call as much. So I think, I really do think he's going to be able to score at the next level. Um, He has a a path to being a a decent defensive player, but he's not there yet. Um, You know, I think partly because he carried a really heavy offensive load. He wasn't always engaged defensively. He had really poor steal and block rates. Um, you know, they, the Nevada was better with him on the floor defensively than off. Uh, but you know, those numbers get pretty messy at the college level where a guy like him plays 80% of the team's possession. So, um, way more questions on defense than offense. I don't doubt he'll score. And then I guess the other question is positionally, you know, he has enough size and, and burst and, and strength to probably play some wing minutes. I do wonder if maybe because most of his skills come with the ball in his hands, if he's uh, a little better off, if he can develop into a combo guard instead of like a true wing, Um, you know, he improved as a passer this year. He does have a decent handle. Uh, He can finish a little bit. So, um, you know, right now he's, he's a little bit like Davis was last year. Powell is where, you know, he can drive and he can create an advantage. And if that dump off or the first obvious kick out is there, um, he can make that play. 
but in terms of manipulating the defense and pick and roll or, or um, you know, making a read that's uh, one or two defensive reads ahead, um, he's not there yet. So he's a guy that I'd love to get with the 905 if I'm the Raptors and, you know, maybe play him 12, 15 minutes of his 35 minutes at the point guard position so he can work on those skills, um, you know, even just to see if he can get there, right? Like he, we, we talked to him shortly before we recorded this and he said he sees himself more as a, a point guard type in time. And Dan Tolzman last night um, said, you know, he didn't say Dan Tolzman thinks this, but he said some people think he could be uh, kind of a combo guard in time. So that'll be the big, those will be the two big things to, to watch with, with him. What position does he settle into eventually? And um, you know, does he get far enough on defense where he can be, like a, a real playoff rotation guy, or does he, does his defense top out where like, you know, he's a second unit scorer whose minutes are going to get minimized in the playoffs, which is not a bad outcome for a guy at 59 anyway. Yeah. So it's like, in so in summary, uh, Flynn is basically Fred and Harris is basically Norm. Sure. Um, yeah. Harris you round is, up or down wh- whichever way. Yeah. Harris you know, is a, further as a along layman. as... Harris is further along as a playmaker and a shooter than Norm was at this point, but is not where Norm was as a defender coming into the league, which is maybe problematic because, uh, you know, Norm went the other direction as a defender over the last five years. Uh, also, he has like a million foot wingspan where Jalen Harris is a little more modest than I think six foot seven wingspan. So undrafted guys, the Raptors are known to like uh, scour the uh, what's left after the draft and pick up pick up a couple of guys. Are there any any guys you have your eye on that the Raptors might uh, might might show an interest in or have showed an interest in? Uh, there were um, a lot of them have come off the board. Um, you know, at the top of my list was Nate Hinton, a guy from uh, Houston who landed with Dallas. Now um, he was interesting. Trevlin Queen, who Matt Chance at, at Raptors Republic is was super high on um killy and tilly a big from gonzaga who like has all the skill but has questionable medical history those were kind of the guys toward the top of my list you look at still at who's still there though i've got two guys from my top 60 still unsigned uh those are lamine Genet, who's a cal state northridge guy who's kind of like to be very reductive i'm not saying this is a player comp but if you want a, a like a comparison he has some of what Pascal had coming out of college where, okay, immense production at a small school and you watch and it's a little clumsy and it's a little all over the place, but the production is just amazing. He's not nearly as polished as Siakam was like, there's no way that guy could step in and play and start 40, 40 games for, for a winning team. Um, Siakam was just like way more polished at both ends of the floor at this point, but you look six, seven forward with handles who can score a lot and it has a good production history maybe a guy worth getting in the 905 system and kicking the tires on. Uh, another guy is Christian Vital. He is not an NBA point guard offensively, but I think if he got with the 905, he would be a legitimate candidate to win G League Defensive Player of the Year. Just a monster ball hawk. And, you know, with, with guys like that, I don't... There are a lot of guys who haven't got to the NBA with that player type, like Briante Weber, for example, and... It's it's a tough road if you can't do a ton offensively, but Vital has some things working in his favor. Elite free throw shooting, decent playmaking chops. If he could add even a semblance of a three, you know, I'm not saying he he's 
Patrick Beverly would be like the 110th percentile outcome for like beyond what you could project for, for Vital. But I do think he could, with some offensive development, become like a third point guard change of pace, like kind of what Gary Payton too projects as. Um, now that he's like further in his development, just a guy who can come in and cause some havoc defensively. I mean, not dissimilar from the way Nick Nurse talks about Patrick McCaw. I know Raptors fans don't actually see that with McCaw, um, but Vital to come in and be this, hey, we're going to full court press for a little bit. We need to force some turnovers. And then your offense is just, we better get out and run because in the half court, this guy will get left alone. Um, so he's another guy I like. I know they had some interest in Caleb Wesson, who's probably the top undrafted big still available. It sounds like Wesson's going to wait and see if he can get a two-way deal instead of an Exhibit 10. Um, there are a few other names out there. John Teske from Michigan. Uh, Kareem Maine is a Canadian kid out of Quebec who is not anywhere close to the NBA, but might be interested. interesting to get into the 905 system because he's a six foot six point guard like with a six foot 11 wingspan. Just You may as well kick the tires on that. Uh, if he's willing to go the G League run. There are a couple other guys. Jake Toulson from BYU um, checks off a lot of like size and shooting boxes, but the rest of his game, uh, you know, maybe maybe he can end up like a like a Jared Utah type where he adds enough other stuff to his game to get back on the NBA radar, but maybe he tops out as like a bigger Heslip who just can't do enough other stuff to, to get there. But um, all of this is to say there are still some interesting names, and then there will certainly be some... Um, off radar names that that the, I don't have in my top 123 here, and um, or you know guys that they poach from other G League systems. Did you just say top 123? Oh yeah. Okay. So uh, very briefly, Blake, is there any difference from an obligation standpoint uh, when you draft a second rounder versus when you pick up somebody uh, just as a free agent, which is who is uh, like un- went undrafted? Yeah, uh, kind of. So there's, I mean, second round picks aren't held to a scale, so you can. Um, you can sign them whatever contract you want. The big difference is that an undrafted free agent, you have to convince them, right? Like you have, you don't mm-hmm. have the rights to them. Okay. Um, for a second round pick, what you have to do is offer what's called a required tender. So basically before you have their rights, you have to give them a tender. It, sorry. If you don't work out an actual contract with them, you have to give them what's called a required tender. And that's a one year minimum fully non-guaranteed deal. And basically what that is, is on one hand, it's paperwork saying the player declines it. And it's like, I'm going to go play overseas and come back. Like, that's what they did with DeAndre Daniels, probably what they should have done with Bruno. Um, You know, that's the draft and stash approach. But what a guy can do if he really wants is he can, you know, say, say the Raptors offer uh, Jalen Harris a four year minimum deal with only the first year guaranteed, the hinky special. And he's like, no, I don't want to be locked up for four years at the minimum. I want to bet on myself like Fred, and I only want a two-year deal. And the Raptors say, sorry, like, we're not going to give you a two-year deal. Like, we want you for four years or nothing. What he could do is sign the required tender. And basically what that does is it dares the Raptors to either put him on the roster or or cut him because he's a free agent after one year then. Um, So that's that's the only difference. you know, we hear a lot of times like Fred Van Vliet told teams he didn't want to get drafted in the second round if they didn't want to actually sign him. And Terrence Davis told teams that he w- he didn't want to take a two-way. Um, you know, I don't know if we'll hear stuff about guys coming out of this. Like Lou Dort was another one that had uh, last year with OKC, a Canadian kid, had a two-way right away. And there were some of those last night. But um, yeah, that's the only real difference is you're negotiating against the market then uh, and 
you know, there's a small chance with a second round pick that they right. uh, can get stashed overseas. All right, l- l- let's go to the LA mini camp that's happening uh, shortly for the Raptors. Who's going to yeah. be there? How is it organized? How formal is this thing? And uh, like, are other are other teams uh, doing something similar as well? Like, uh, what have you? Heard? I don't have a lot of answers to that because some of it is still kind of uncertain around where the Raptors are playing and things like that. Now, fortunately, a lot of guys work out in the LA and Vegas areas anyway. Uh, so what a Raptors offseason normally looks like for the player development guys is um, they'll get drafted. There's a bit of a camp in Toronto in between kind of like from pre from the end of pre-draft workouts to the start of summer league. There's like a Toronto camp where all the development guys are in there and some guys are in like maybe a free agent mini camp or something like that. Um, and then you go to Vegas in the summer league guys go and do their thing for whatever. Then at another point they would get together and they would do a couple weeks in LA. And that's where you see guys doing the Rico Hines runs and stuff like that. Then they'd be out in Burnaby um, working with Alex McKechnie on medicals and stuff. So obviously they don't have time for all this stuff. There's no summer league. You can't, you're not going to go Toronto to LA to Vegas to Vancouver to Toronto during a pandemic. You're just, and, and there's no time. Um, so what I imagine this mini camp is, is the guys on the fringes of the roster and the guys that they're interested in bringing in camp deals uh, will be there. And it's kind of a, let's learn the system. Let's get a closer look at you. And then, you know, you might get, well, Norm lives in Vegas. What if Norm stops in? Siakam's been working out in LA with Paul Watson and, and a couple other guys. Maybe they stop in. Fred and Kyle were were in Vegas together not that long ago. Maybe they stop in. And I think, so I think it's, you know, if you don't have a guaranteed contract, uh, it's kind of like a tryout camp-ish kind of vibe um, or like a head start on the development season. Uh, but the honest truth is like in a pandemic, we don't really know what this looks like. Like I know that they're there right now because O'Shea Brissett posted Instagram stories um, and he's a restricted free agent. But like, I don't know if Chris Boucher is there because he's a more veteran restricted free agent. Malcolm Miller's not there because they're not issuing him a qualifying offer to keep him as an RFA. So, um, you know, is, I'm is, is, is DeMar going to show up and try to make the team? Yeah, no, DeMar's going to be with the Lakers by then. <laughs> um, so I, I think, you know, certainly if you're a Raptors fan and you are Instagram savvy, keep an eye out on guys, Instagram stories and the highlights they post, because you might see some faces there where you're like, wait a second. Pascal Siakam and Paul Watson are there and Christian Vital is there and they all share an agent, you know, Vital must be working out with the Raptors. Like that's the kind of stuff you can kind of look for these next couple of days. Although I'd imagine the Raptors would tell these guys, stop posting it on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, the, the Tampa Bay Raptors uh, that's happening. Uh, I guess it's going to be another bubble uh, just in a, in a different, oh, same location, different location. What's the, what's the situation there? That's another one. We just don't know. The Raptors are still pushing for Toronto. Um, the federal government ex- extended the the border closure um, this week that, that it now extends into uh, when the NBA season would start or, or right before the NBA season would start. Um, so that doesn't look optimistic. This is a decision that at this point is in the federal government's hands, not the, I'm sure if it was the provincial government, the Scotiabank Arena would be allowed to have 18,000 people in it. Um, but yeah, this is in the federal government's hand. The Raptors have made their case. They said, look, there is a huge mental and family cost to asking our guys to be away from home for six months. Um, we did the bubble safely. Here's our plan for rapid testing when teams arrive and, and hotel quarantine and stuff. This is why we think you should trust us. Please mm-hmm. let us know. Um, and that's basically all they can do. And, and if that doesn't work, you know, Bobby Webster told us the other day or Dan Tolzman, one of them told us the other day that they don't really want to do 
a situation where, because the NBA schedule is going to be split in two this year. Um, they're going to release the schedule soon. That goes as far as, uh, I think, March 4th. And then they'll release the second half that is March 11th onward later. Um, so there is that built-in break if they were to play the first half in Tampa and then come back to Toronto. But I don't think they really want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, man. I think I get it. They make millions of dollars and like people don't really feel that much sympathy for them. But these guys were just away from their families for three months. And now you're it's more the uncertainty than anything. Like if you're Kyle Lowry and you have kids or you're Fred Van Vliet and you have kids like what are you doing with them? Are you going to go six months without seeing them? Are you going to move them schools? Like I, there are very real life questions. There are real life questions that follow from this. So I, I think the Raptors would just like an answer on top of which training camps are supposed to start December 1st. We are 10 days out from training camps and the Raptors don't know where it's going to be. It's ridiculous. Do you see any sort of power shift in the East happening uh, this summer or this summer? Yeah, I mean, look, the the Bucks are obviously doing what they can to show Giannis that they're committed to winning, although they'll still try to dink and duck around the tax, which will be funny. Um, could have just paid Malcolm Brogdon. But uh, the pick package they paid for Drew certainly suggests that they think they can convince Giannis to stay. Uh, they tried to do that failed Bogdanovich sign-and-trade, which now looks dead in the water. Um, you know, they're they're tweaking and adding um boston is always leaking stuff that they're not gonna do so it's hard to tell what they actually are gonna do um but it sounds like hayward could be going elsewhere um and they didn't have a good draft so so that might be uh you know they could take a small step back if if tatum and brown don't take a big step forward um philly is worrisome uh they made they had a really good week so far and they don't have like a, a boatload of flexibility to add from here but they made really smart moves i thought on trade and in the draft um, to add the competent role players around Embiid and Simmons that make sense instead of just signing the highest price guy uh, that that's available. Um, so yeah, and, and then I mean, obviously, Harden to Brooklyn would would shift things further. And I thought Brooklyn has had a good week too. But there's some, uh, you know, if, if they if they had a good week with the purposes of dumping everything to Houston, that's a that's a much different week. So I think teams are stacking up pretty well, and I think. The unfortunate reality for Raptors fans this offseason might be that they don't have a ton of flexibility beyond bringing their own guys back and maybe adding one mid-level piece. And that this was always going to be kind of a transition year. Like we we told everyone this when Kawhi left that, hey, the next two years are kind of, you know, you probably can't bottom out all the way and you don't probably don't want to because winning is such a part of your culture at this point and a, and a part of your sales pitch. But also, like, there's not going to be, and it's not just about Giannis, there's just not a path to cap flexibility or a a meaningfully Kawhi-ish trade yet. So this is probably going to be a second transition season in a row. And that's a little bit boring. It's a little bit unsexy. But, you know, this is, if if the aftermath or the, the... legacy cost of winning a championship is two years where you're only a good playoff team instead of a championship contender before you can tool up again. I think, I think you're in a pretty good spot. So um, might be a little unsexy, but deal with it. And uh, you know, the the Bucks trying to retain Giannis by signing these guys uh, kind of reminds me of like uh, the Raptors trying to sign Hito Turkoglu to retain Chris Bosh. Yeah. Or uh, the same kind of feeling to it. It might, or paying Just a bunch of 40-year-olds like $50 million to make Vince happy. <laughs> Blake, man, thank you for uh, waxing lyrical again for a long time on a lot of topics. Have a drink yeah. of water, man. 
And uh, thank you I for coming on and, uh, and, and educating us on all these topics. Yeah, of course, man. Uh, sorry my lighting was bad. I'm a little dark today, but... You look good, man. You look good. Okay, thanks. Not, not as good as you, man, with that hair. 